Good morning, everybody. We are, um, as had been mentioned earlier, we have uh, several that have been out today, so we're certainly uh, continuing to pray for them. Um, Also, we got several that are uh, at camp this week, Um, so that's also really exciting is that um, there's a group that left um, on Friday to go up to Rockbridge, a um, group of middle schoolers, and so they're getting a weekend just to kind of get out of their routine and to focus on Jesus for a weekend, and so we're really, really praying, uh, and just continue to pray alongside us that uh, God would do some uh, incredible things uh, in that group that's going as well. So this morning we are, uh, we're going to dive back into, we've been studying uh, the way of Jesus, um, and um, for those of us that have been here through it, um, you know, we, we started back in January, uh, January 5th, talking about uh, our vision of, as a church. And our vision is to be and to make disciples of Jesus, right? And so uh, before we can ever make disciples, we have to learn to be those disciples. And so we've been really leaning into this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple? And at the core of that, um, we've decided that being a disciple is, is being like Jesus. It's, it's, it's walking in the same way that Jesus walked. It's living this life. Um, in a way that, that lines up with the way that Jesus lived his life. Um, that's why we're calling it the way of Jesus. Um, last week, we, we spent our time focusing on this idea of just being with Jesus. We talked about that if we truly want to be followers of Jesus, the first step in that uh, apprenticeship, that discipleship to Jesus, um, was going to involve actually being with Jesus. Jesus. Um, and so this morning, we're going to continue on into the second step or the second goal of discipleship. Once you have been with your rabbi, um, once a Talmud, as we've been talking about, that, that idea of a Jewish disciple and apprentice, once they had been with their rabbi, the second goal that they would want to accomplish is to then become like their rabbi. So, so over time, being with their rabbi, watching their rabbi do what their rabbi did, the goal was then that they would start to become like that rabbi. They would start to speak in the same way that rabbi would speak. The, the goal would be to start to think um, and interpret the, the text the way that that rabbi had done that. And so for us, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And if we are going to be following him, if he is our master and we are following him, there's a point in there that, yes, we need to be with him, but there needs to be a point that we start to actually start to become like him. That's the goal, um, is to be like Jesus. So that's where we're going today. Um, before we get there, what I want us to start out with was last week our our practice, right? We, we've said that we wanted to have these practices. Um, we don't want to just sit and talk about this on Sunday morning. We want to actually put it into practice because that's ultimately how we hope that this will start to change our being and who we are. Um, and so our goal last week was to take 10 minutes every day just to be with Jesus. Um, whether that was, um, whether you were to incorporate Bible study or prayer or just sitting and thinking about Jesus, that was the goal. Um, and so um, what I want us to do is start out this morning by just talk, talking about how that went this week. Um, what was that experience like? Um, what was that practice like this week? Um, were there challenging aspects to that? Did you get into it and find that 10 minutes seemed really long when you were just sitting there thinking about Jesus in the quiet? Did you find that it was hard just to find 10 minutes in your life and in your day, right? 
Um, what was that? What were some of the challenging parts? And then, then what did you really learn from that? Was there anything that, that God spoke to you in that time? Was there anything that you maybe learned about yourself um, during the week as you tried to put that into practice? And so let's take a couple of minutes off the bat and just talk about follow up on how our practice went last week. And then we'll get into becoming like Jesus. Well, all right, we're going to... We're going to jump into this idea of becoming like Jesus, this goal of becoming like Jesus. Um, and so for, again, just, just kind of review a little bit, but for, for that apprentice, you know, in, in Jesus' time especially, uh, but even today, we've talked about how we still have some apprenticeships, right? There are still some, some skilled uh, jobs, some trade jobs out there that you have to do an apprenticeship, right? It's usually a several-year process. Um, so that you can become a master skilled uh, person in whatever that trade may be, whatever that industry may be. Um, and the goal is that you would essentially become a carbon copy of your teacher, of your master, right? And so we know that, right? I'm, I'm probably not telling us anything that we don't already know. Um, we've heard it from the time that we were little kids, you know, you need to be like Jesus, um, you know. Um, in fact, when I was, when I was in high school, uh, or maybe younger than that, we had these wristbands that were really popular that had WWJD on it, right? Everybody's like, yes, we know, right? What would Jesus do is this reminder of, like, how do I live my life uh, the same way that Jesus does? And so we're, we're literally, uh, most of us, we're, we're aware of that, but as, as we all know, practice and actually doing it is very different than knowing that we should be that way. And I think what happens sometimes is if we don't make intentional efforts, and we'll talk about this uh, today, but if we don't make an intentional effort, we never get to that place. We never reach that goal. Um, and, and this concept of becoming like your master, becoming like Jesus, is literally sprinkled throughout uh, most of the gospel. Jesus picks up on this in very, very many places, uh, so much so that you can even find some subtle references to this concept, this idea. Um, and so one of the places that I, I had never noticed this before uh, is in Luke chapter 6. So I want to start there today. Uh, we'll be getting into some other passages along the way. Um, but Luke chapter 6, um, verse 39, and let me, I'll set the context for us. Uh, but Luke 6, verse 39, let me also just remind, it, remind you, if you do have uh, your Bible app, we do have the uh, sermon outline uploaded to all the scriptures and stuff that we're covering today are already on there for you as well. So just to let you know, that's uh, remind us until we get into the practice of that, that that's available. Um, but let me set the context. So Luke 6 is essentially Luke's telling of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's, it's Luke's, and he doesn't go into the detail that Matthew covers it in, uh, but in chapter 6 he, he hits on some of the, uh, the Beatitudes, and then he goes through some of these, uh, these very, very popular teachings of Jesus, love your enemies, uh, and then as you get into like verse 37, he gets into the context of judging others, right? We, we've probably all heard this, uh, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven, Right? We've, we've heard this, but in the context of this, in verse 39, Jesus gives a parable to illustrate this. He gives a parable, a teaching to illustrate this. Listen to what he says in verse 39. He also told them a parable. He said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Then in verse 40, look what he says. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And then Jesus goes on to explain uh, that very famous explanation of how we don't judge, don't look at your brother 
right? Don't, don't be judging the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log or a board in your eye. But in this context, right, of, of explaining what it means not to be, to be judgmental, right, Jesus makes a reference. Verse 39, his, his picture of a blind person leading a blind person is really a, a, direct, um, a direct interpretation or a direct look at the Pharisees, right? In other places, he would call them blind guides, right? What was the problem? What did the Pharisees do? What was their, what was their big issue Jesus always had with them? Hypocrisy, right? That they were so focused on these external acts and these things that people would do, but they didn't care what was on the heart. It wasn't focused on what was on the inside, right? Um, and, and so they would sit up and they would judge these people, but yet their lives were not lived in that way. They, they just did everything for the approval or the, or the praise of men and not to have their hearts change. And so in this context, Jesus gives this picture of, of not a blind person leading another blind person. But I think it's interesting, verse 40 specifically, what he says in there, right? He says exactly what we, we've been talking about. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher, right? This, this idea, um, and so I just want us to kind of look at, at four questions this morning about discipleship, about the life of a disciple, um, to help, help us to understand what it means to become like Jesus. And the first question is, what is the purpose of discipleship? And I'm going to cover this really quickly because I feel like we've, we've talked about this, right? But the goal is to be like your rabbi. It's not just to have head knowledge, but it's actually to start to allow that to change you and to shape you and to form you. Right? Look at the end of verse 40. He says, um, he says, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Right? That's the goal that we're going after, is to become like Jesus. I love how, how John, in his, in his first, uh, first letter, First um, John chapter 2, how he, he explains this. Um, I love First John. It's probably one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible to read. I, I just love the way that John writes. Um, and again, John is, is writing to address some uh, false teaching that's come up in the church. But listen to what he says, uh, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, the word of Jesus, in him truly the love of God is perfected. But, thi- uh, but this we may know that we are in him. How do you know that you're in him? Verse 6. Whoever says he abides, remember last week we talked so much about this idea of abiding from John 15. Whoever abides in him also ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? At the very basic level of discipleship, we need to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. We ought to live our lives in the same way that Jesus lived his life. Jesus is the example for us, right? And so the purpose of our discipleship is to ultimately become like Jesus, to be like him. John 13, starting in verse 13, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he, again, picks up on this idea of you need to become like your teacher, Look at verse 13. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them. Do them. Right? Jesus is really just being very transparent. I have come to set an example for you. And so our, our, our responsibility, our goal, our purpose in discipleship is 
to become like Jesus, to follow his example. And then he says, you're blessed, not if you just know it, but that you actually do it, right? And so the purpose of discipleship is to become like Jesus. Second question I want us to ask is, is when will we become like Jesus, right? Because I think for a lot of us, this is where we get hung up, is that we either, we either uh, I think we fall into one of two camps. Either one, we sit over here and we say, man, I just, I feel like I need to be there today. And for some of us, we need to realize that it's a process over time, just like it was with his disciples. Some of us, though, we don't really even think about it. And so we've been 20, 30, 40 years in our discipleship to Jesus, and we haven't moved any closer to becoming like him. Right? And so we need to realize that it's a process over time. Right? It takes time to become like Jesus. Um. Jumping back to, to the passage there in Luke 6, where, where Jesus is giving the, the parable. Uh, in verse 40, he says, um, he says, The disciple is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained. Right? There's this idea that it takes time. It's just not immediate. It's not that we pray to receive Jesus as our Lord and instantly we start living like him. But it's a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. And I don't know how that falls on you this morning. Like for some of us, it's like, oh, that was just a weight lifted off my shoulders because I, I just like, I've been trying to achieve and earn. I feel like I haven't got where I want to be yet. And okay, it's a lifelong pursuit. Uh, for others of us, it's just that reminder, right? That, that, that we need to be pursuing it though, right? It's not going to happen without that intentional effort of pursuing Jesus, um, so, so one of the, one of my goals in my life, uh, personally, outside of my apprenticeship to Jesus, even though I'm sure it would affect that, um, one of my goals that I, that I would love to accomplish, kind of big picture goal one day, is to actually hike the AT trail, right? The 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 like the whole thing, right? I would love that experience. I would love to do that, right? But here's what I know: if I ever, because I've watched some documentaries, um, a guy named Scott Jurek just beat the record for running it and it was a ridiculous amount of time but he ran the entire AT trail um, and beat the previous record uh, but one thing I, I've learned from that is that it's not just I'm going to wake up one day and just decide you know what I want to just do the whole AT trail and so I'm just going to get my shoes on and just head out there and just do it right and just head from and I think it goes to go all the way up to Maine right Maine all the way down to like Georgia South Georgia I think is where it where it drops off maybe right that's not going to happen without some intentional effort that's going to be a journey it's going to be a process to get me to that point right um, and we could do that I mean we could load the kids up in the in the van and we could just say we're going to become that family that homeschool family that that lives on the AT trail right <laughs> but it's probably not going to turn out very well um, right it's a process in the same way, when we look at our discipleship to Jesus, we realize that it's a way of Jesus, right? It's a journey that he's taking us on, and the results may not be instantaneous. And I think that's a frustration for a lot of us, right? I think as a culture, we have just become comfortable with instant results on things, right? I mean, think about our culture, right? We have things like the microwave, right? You pop food in there and push a button and magically and, you know... 30 seconds, it's warm, it may be chewier than it started out, right, but it's warm, and so it's just instantly ready to eat. Uh, we think about our communication, I mean, think about how much that's improved. We have what's called instant messaging now, right, so literally I can send a message to someone in an instant, that person has that message, and they can read it, right? Where it used to be not many years ago, 
if you wanted to get a message of communication to someone, right, you had to sit down with this stuff called paper. It's made out of trees, right? And you had to write out, and then you had to put it in the mail, and you had to put a stamp on it, and then you had to wait like three days. Uh, well, it used to be two days, but we won't get into that whole thing. Um, pray for our postal people, right? Like, I'm just, man, they are so overworked. Um, but but now it's just instant, right? Um, with the advent of the internet, everything that we need, right? Uh, instant access to that. And so all of that just kind of pushes against us a lot of times when we think about our discipleship to Jesus. Because I know for me personally, I just want to wake up the next morning and be there. But to realize that it's a process over time, right? It says when, when he is fully trained, right? And so there's kind of implied in here that there's this idea that, that for some of us, it, there's a partial training, right? We're in the process of being trained. And we should be growing in that process. We should be coming more and more and more like Jesus. Peter, uh, Peter in his second letter, I think, picks up on this idea of the process in which it takes us to grow and to be like him. In 2 Peter chapter 5, um, and he gives a list, right, of, of things that we should be working toward in this process. Listen to what, how he says this. For this very reason, make every effort, right? So, so the, the, the Bible, the New Testament, is not opposed to effort. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says that God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning, right? There's a difference in that. It's not that we're earning our salvation. It's already been given to us by grace, but there's an effort that goes along with that. And so Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith, right? To add to this faith that you had. And what do you add? Add virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, um, with steadfastness. And steadfastness, with godliness. And godliness, with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection, with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are what? Increasing, Right? We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be content being stagnant in these areas of our life, but they should be increasing in this process. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, right? This goes back to our John 15, 5 last week, where he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you're going to produce fruit, right? So if we are increasing in this process, it's going to keep us from becoming unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, right? See this tie back into to what Jesus was just saying. Don't, don't be blind, right? But be continuing this process. Having forgiven, uh, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. I love that word diligent, right? I think that's, that's part of that, is that we need to be diligent. We need to be consistent. We need to put the effort in. We need to, 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 to work hard and train ourselves to becoming like Jesus. To confirm your calling and election. For if you, oh, there's our word, practice these qualities, you will never fail. I love that. It's almost like Jesus is trying to say something to us, right? It's going to take practice. It's going to take a process over time, and it's not going to just happen overnight. So then the question becomes, how do we become like Jesus? Like, what does that look like? How do we do that? It's going to take intentional training, right? It's going to take some intentional training and transformation. We'll get to the transformation part here in just a second. But it's going to take some intentional training. Jesus, back in Luke 6 again, we're, I know we're jumping back and forth, but in, in Luke chapter 6, uh, he says, he says uh, when he is 
fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Not before that moment, right? And so there's an element of training that's involved in our pursuit of Jesus. That word there for, for trained, um, fully trained there, it, it literally means to fit or join together and so to mend or to repair something. Um, that word in the Greek conveys the idea of making the whole by fitting it together in order to properly arrange it. Listen to this. But when it's applied to something that is weak or defective, it denotes setting right that which has gone wrong to restore to a former condition, uh, whether mending broken nets or setting a broken bone, right? And we know in our story, right, there was a point in our story, in all of our story in the beginning, when, when we weren't broken, when things were perfect as the way that they should have been, and God created it and said that it was very good, right? But because of sin and the human condition, all of that has been broken now. And so this process, this training, is like the idea of, of setting that back in place. It's fixing what was broken, right? And you realize, if Ashley was here, she could tell us this morning, right? Something that's broken takes time to heal. It's a process, right? And there takes intentional training and effort to do that. For, for a professional athlete, right? Think about this. If a professional athlete breaks something or injures something, right? They can't just next Sunday get out there on the field and play again. Right? In fact, even after the bone has been healed or fixed, right, there's probably a long season then of, of, of training that's involved to get them back to that point of which they once were. So we need to be trained. It takes effort. The right of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, look, look, look at how, how he points to this. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, buckle up. He's pretty straightforward here. Listen to this. <laughs> About this, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Hello? Right, church? Right? Any of us become dull of hearing? For though, uh, for through by this, uh, this time you ought to have be teachers, right? You should already be teaching. You should already be fully trained. Yet you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Right? And then he goes in to explain that. Hey, if you're not listening, let me give you an illustration. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Right? Think about that. Now, is there anything wrong with a child drinking milk? No. What's going to happen if you give your, you know, four-month-old a T-bone steak? Not good, right? Uh, they're going to choke. They're, gonna, they're not going to be able to process that. Right? They're not mature. They're not ready. And it's fine for that. But he's talking to believers who should be mature. And yet you're still drinking milk. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their power of discernment trained, right? Again, there's our idea that it's, that it's trained by constant, there's our word again, practice, right? Like, like it's, it's one of those things, I think, um, that once you see how many times Jesus references or the New Testament references this idea of practice, like you just see it showing up everywhere, Right? but that you must be trained by, cons by consistent practice to distinguish good from evil. The goal for us as followers of Jesus is that we would become mature, that we would follow him. And the way that that happens is, is by being trained by consistent practice, right? Consistently doing these things that Jesus teaches us to do. Over time, with intentionality, we start to become mature, right?
put it another way, the things we do do something to us, right? Think about that. The things that we, in, we, we put our, our time and our attention and our minds toward, they change us, right? You can't, you can't put so much of yourself into something and not actually be changed by that. That's why as parents it's so important when we think about the influences around our kids, those relational influences and who, we, who, we have, who they have in their life, right? Because those become the voices that they listen to. Those become the people that start to shape them. It's why, it's why it's so important for us as believers that we're consistently growing in our faith because that's going to be what ultimately changes us, right? We create what's called habits, right? These habits, these, these rhythms, these things that we get. And, and these, these, these habits, they get into us and they shape us. They change us, right? Um, and to illustrate this, right, and, and it could have been a lot of things, but, but the thing I, I was thinking about this week, um, actually I heard somebody else say this, and, and then I was just like, I can identify with this. For me, I never, the process for loving coffee, right, I mean this, this delicious gift from God, right, um, it didn't happen overnight, I didn't just instantly love coffee. In fact, I don't know many kids that drink just a black cup of coffee and they're like, ooh, give me some more of that. I love that stuff. Now, some of the way that you guys like your coffee, I understand why they like it, right? Because you don't even taste the coffee in it. But for me, I remember, I remember my first experience drinking coffee. I was probably 13 years old, and the little church that we grew up in, um, in the basement, every Sunday morning before Sunday school, the deacons would get together and they would make the, cup of co- the pot of coffee, the church pot of coffee. And I remember one week, I just kept seeing these older guys drinking this coffee, and I was just like, I'm going to give me some of that. I have, I'm ready. I matured in my manhood to the point where I can drink some of that. And so I remember my first cup of coffee. I did not love it at first. I didn't even like it at first. Now, let me tell you, later, like, as I got older, I realized why I probably didn't like it. So the coffee pot, right, uh, in, in this church, it was an old glass coffee pot. But the bottom of it was permanently black where they had just left it on and had just burnt coffee over years and years and years. And so everything was affected by the taste of that coffee. So I didn't love it. In fact, I remember when I got to college was really when I first started drinking coffee. Coffee, right? And my first coffee that I was drinking was this delicious, wonderful thing from Starbucks called a Frappuccino, right? And Maria's laughing because she's like, that. you can barely call that coffee, right? It's a milkshake that tastes a little bit like coffee and then covered in whipped cream. And I would drink one of these huge things of uh, these Frappuccinos in college, right? And all through college, I was like, yeah, I'm a coffee drinker. And I was drinking these Frappuccinos and these other like really sweet coffee drinks. And there was another moment in my life. After college, um, I had interned at this church down in Georgia, and this church had a coffee shop in the church. And I'm not talking like church coffee shop. I'm talking like they had a legit coffee shop. Um, they had one of the finest coffee roasters in all of Atlanta that was sourcing their stuff, that had trained them there. And so um, I needed some more income. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes pastors don't always have the highest salary in the world. Um, and I was just coming out from being an intern into that first kind of step in ministry. So it certainly was not a high salary. And so I, I started working at the coffee shop to make some money. And so my job, I was the opener. And so I would get there at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? And one of the, one of the, the things that I had to do every morning was called keying in the espresso machine, right? And the only way to truly key in an espresso machine is to pour 
right, these shots of espresso, and you look at them, and to see, like, if, if the crema, which is the, the light part, I could talk about this all day, um, but the light part on the top of, of the espresso, how it measures in proportion to the darker part at the bottom, right, and you smell it, it should have a certain smell to it, but the ultimate test of that was the taste, right? You had to taste it. If it was too bitter, if it was too, too light, you wanted to get that just right, and so the different conditions, the weather, all that stuff, the temperature of the room could all affect your, your grind, and so you would have to key that in. And I remember there was a process over months of trying this espresso every, every morning and getting it keyed in that I went from, like, this is disgusting, I can barely stomach it, to I kind of like it. It's kind of good, to man, I can't wait till the next morning when I get to go try some more espresso, to man, I'm going to go buy some of this stuff that I could get for free, but I can't wait till tomorrow. Because it became a process over time, right, of training myself, and I became, and I started to love it, right? I don't drink coffee because it's a conscious decision today. I drink coffee because I love it, right? We were talking a few minutes ago. I love coffee. It doesn't matter if it's hot, cold, lukewarm, in the middle, whatever, right? I love coffee, right? But it started as a habit. It started as a process, right? When Nicole and I started drinking our coffee black, we were trying to make some health changes and so get away from the sugar and so much of the dairy stuff in that. And so I remember that we had to start eating something sweet with our black coffee to kind of transition. But then we got to a point where we just started to love the flavor of coffee. And it, that, that should be the goal for us in our discipleship to Jesus, right? It should be as we are intentionally training. And there's going to be some effort that's involved in that. But the goal is over time that this, my heart starts to change and I start to desire him more and more. I start to desire him like that cup of coffee in the morning. I start to desire him like whatever it is that we love so much in our life. That's the goal, right? And so the result then, what is the result of this training? The result is what has been called spiritual formation or really transformation as the New Testament talks about it. Transformation, right? This is, this is a radical overhaul of our person from the inside out. And this should be the goal of the Christian life, is to be transformed, right? Is to be transformed. We don't want to just put, some, you know, put on some nice clothes and just change the outside, but we literally want to be transformed from the inside out, right? And that's the, that's the result of becoming more and more like Christ. I was talking, um, Tom and I were talking this week, and uh, we were talking, I have an old car that me and my dad worked on, I was telling him, one of the things I wish we would have done uh, when, we, when we fixed the car, because we put a lot of time and effort and money into fixing up this old car, I said, I wish we would have done what's called the off-the-foundation or off-the-body restoration, where you just literally take it off the frame and you just start over almost as a brand-new car. Because at that point, everything's new, right? And so what I have, it's still an awesome car. It's still cool, right? But I have a really nice exterior car, but then I have a really old frame, and so some of those things, so you're driving sometimes, and there's some squeaks and some bumps and some things that are just, you know, off. Um, the goal for us as followers of Jesus is to be completely restored, completely transformed. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 picks up on this idea, right? He says, and we all with unveiled face, in, face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree, degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, right? As we spend time with Jesus, as we invest our lives, and we allow Him to start to shape us and to change us, then we become transformed.
people. And let's be honest, this is what I want, right? I think the... I think the burden of just kind of coming and pretending and, and doing the church thing, it gets very burdensome over time, right? There's something inside of us. There's something inside of me that just says, there's got to be something more to this. I either want to be all in for Jesus or I want nothing. But this kind of, I'm just going to kind of go and, and just kind of put on and act and, and pretend and just kind of be on the outside following Jesus, it's very burdensome. It's very heavy to carry that load over time. It gets very frustrating. And so is it possible for us to, to be transformed in this way? I believe so, right? And the way that happens is through, through spiritual formations, by spiritual changing. And Dallas Willard, one of the, one of the authors we've been talking a lot about in this series, uh, he writes just so much about this idea of, of, of discipleship to Jesus. But Willard says this, he says, Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process, okay, a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by such character traits as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. And let me read that one more time because it's, it's, very, it's very wordy and it's very heady, but it's very deep in its understanding. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed, right? It's taking over, I'm being transformed and permeated, right? Feeling every part of me by such character traits, to put that another way, that my life starts to look so much like Jesus' life as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Right? So the process for us is then for us to become like Jesus. And these spiritual formations, these practices that we put into our lives are what cause us to become that way. That's that's the result of this training in our life is to be transformed, right? Uh, Willard there uh, makes reference. I think this is interesting. In one of his books, he makes reference to this idea of the easy yoke of, of discipleship, right? And he's picking up on what Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, right, where he says, "Come to me, all who are who are heavy laden, uh, and I'll give you rest," right? And he says he says in that passage in verse thirty, he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? And we talked about this here, I think, on a few occasions, this picture that Jesus is giving. Uh, but I think it's helpful for us to understand what this looks like uh, in our lives. So the idea, literally, of a yoke, right? We, we're familiar. A yoke is this big piece of wood that was laid over um, the necks and the backs of two work animals, right? A lot of times in this culture, it, was, it would probably be like an ox, two oxen, right? And so they would carry the burden of pulling that plow together. Now, one thing that I learned this week that I, I thought was pretty interesting was... And in, in this time period when they would do that, right, and they had a brand new oxen, right, a brand new oxen that they wanted to introduce, right, they never put two brand new oxen together under a yoke, right? Because what, what, what's going to happen if you put two brand new untrained oxen together under a yoke? They're not matched up. Anymore. Yeah, it's going to be destructive, right? They're both going to try to pull in their own direction, right? Something's going to get broken. Somebody's going to get hurt. So what they would do is they would take a very mature, a very trained oxen, probably a bigger, stronger oxen, right, that has been doing this, that was older, more mature, and they would yoke them together with the immature, with the young oxen, right? And that mature oxen is going to teach that immature, that young oxen, how to walk. That, that trained oxen, uh, when, that, when that young oxen is pulling off and pulling the yoke, that, that mature oxen is going to continue to pull and to teach that young oxen how to do the job of plowing the field or whatever whatever job it was that they had, right? 
Um, the, the other part about that um, that's interesting um, is that that mature oxen um, is probably going to be carrying more of the weight of the duty, at least at first, until that, until that immature one is, is, is growing and as it's getting bigger, that new oxen, as it, as it grows, they'll start to share that. But in the beginning, right, the heavy weight is probably on the mature oxen. And the, and, the, and the new oxen is really just learning how to walk in the straight path and follow the mature oxen. And that picture is a picture of what Jesus says to me. When you come to Jesus, Jesus does the heavy lifting. He carries the heavy part of the burden. And for us, we just follow in line where he's going. Right? It's really not really sharing that. It's really Jesus is taking the heavier side of that. Right? And our job in that is just to follow where he's leading us. To go in the same way that Jesus is going, right? And that's the goal. That's the, that's, what, that's the goal of discipleship is that we are to go in the same way, the way of Jesus, right? That's what we've been talking about. Put it another way, if you want the life of Jesus, we must also adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And I think this is where we, where we trip up. I think for most of us in this room, we would say, I want to be like Jesus, but are we willing to make the hard choices that it's going to take to get us there, right? That's the, that's the decision. Do I want the lifestyle of Jesus? As we go over the next several weeks and we look at these practices that Jesus did, right? That's where we're going is over the next month and a half, two months. We're going to look at these things that Jesus regularly did in his life. Prayer, fasting, reading through the word, rest, retreat, silence, solitude. All of these things that he regularly did, serving he was generous. All of these things, right? I think a lot of us, we say, yes, we want to be like Jesus. We want the life of Jesus, but yet I don't want to make the sacrifices. I don't want to do what it took Jesus to do in order to fulfill these things, right? And that's the decision that we have to make. That's the place. If we want to become like Jesus, right, we have to start to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, right? That's the secret to the easy yoke. The secret to the easy yoke is doing the things that Jesus did. Right? Jesus came as an example to us, the author of Hebrews says. He, he was tempted in every way that we have, but yet he didn't sin. He came as an example to us. And so we have that example, and we need to start living in that way. You see, one of the other goals that I've had in my life, I kind of laugh at it now because the, the idea of this goal now just seems ridiculous. Right? But one of the goals that, that Nicole and I had at one point was we wanted to run a marathon. Um, and so I remember this, this process very well. And, and we got to the point where we were upping our running. And I think we got to the point where we, we were running, like, our long runs. Um, once, a, once a week, we were running, like, 20 miles. Um, and I remember we had a conversation when we did that 20-mile run. We looked at each other and we said, do we really want to give what it takes in order to continue this training? Right? Because we were already giving, like, three hours on our Saturdays. And we were like, do we really, do we really want to run that much? Do we really want to hit this marathon goal that much? that we're willing to sacrifice that time from our family. We were, I think we had two or three kids at that point, so we were, you know, just getting in. They were, we had four, two or three or four, you know. <laughs> you know our family. It's, you know, two or three or four or whatever, um, right? And were we willing to make that sacrifice? And we decided at the end of the day that didn't line up with who we wanted to be, right? That wasn't the greatest goal for us. And so we just kind of dropped out from doing that. Um, and I think for all of us, we have to decide if we're willing to change to adopt that lifestyle of Jesus. Let me, let me just uh, share one more quote from Dallas Willard, and then I want us to take some time to talk about this together. Uh, and then we'll come back. i got one more practical thing for us that we're going to work through this week. Willis, Willard, Willard said this, The general human failing 
is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we want to be right and the conditions we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality. I just think that so sums up our human experience so so many times in our life, right? We want what is right, and that's good. For most of us, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be able to put Jesus on display in our community, in our culture, in our world. Right? We want that. That's a good thing. But yet, for most of us, we're not willing to sacrifice to commit to the kind of life that will produce that action. Right? And so here's what I want us to do. Uh, let's, let's talk in our groups uh, for a couple more minutes, right? What in your lifestyle needs to change, right, in order to have the life of Jesus? In order to be there, in, in order to be a fully trained disciple of Jesus, what in our lifestyle, what in our current life practices, you know, we're talking about things like time, right? We're talking about intention, like where's my mind go? What am I thinking about? What am I dwelling on? We're talking about um, relationships, right? What am I relationally doing to become more like Jesus? Who am I bringing in around me? Um, you know, we're talking about every aspect of that. Generosity, stewardship, all of these things. What in my life needs to change so in order that I can start to become and to have the life that Jesus had? Okay? So let's take uh, maybe five minutes together talking about that. And then when we come back, I want to share um, a, a chart that will help us to understand how we start to uh, create these formations and these things in our life. Okay? So let's take a couple minutes. We'll come back together. So I want, to, I want us to, to kind of draw back into uh, some practical ways of, of what does this look like overall in our life. Um, one passage I, I want to, and, and we're probably all familiar with this, um, but I think one thing that, that is just helpful to understand in our culture and our world, uh, Romans 12, chapter 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Um, and I think there's some intentional steps that we can take and some, some things we need to start looking for. Uh, and in our lives, that's going to help us to be transformed. Um, I think one thing we have to realize, I don't know who said it, but somebody said it this way. He said, uh, we're all being formed by something. All right, think about that for a second. Right? Intentional, unintentional, we're all being formed by something. There are influences, there are things in our life that are shaping us and changing us. Um, and so this is a lot of where our practice is going this week. And so I handed out uh, um, a little piece of paper. It's not, it's a full piece of paper. Um, it was going to be a little piece of paper, and then I realized that we needed some space to write. Um, but the, the paper that you have right there, I'm going to kind of walk through the chart on this uh, and explain it. And then the practice this week is going to be thinking through some of these areas in our life. Okay? And so the first, the first one you have, depending on which side you pick up on, um, is what's called un intentional formation chart. So Chad, you want to get that first one up there? It's just the first one. Uh, yes, okay? It'll say stories we believe, environment, habits, relationships, right? Without us doing anything, with us just being, uh, with us just having been born, with us just living in our cultural moment that we live in, uh, in our world right now, these are things that are forming us. We don't have to do anything. These are just natural things that form us and shape us. Right? So the stories 
we believe, right? The things that we take in, the things that we hear, and we start to believe those, form us and shape us, right? That's why things like social media and all of those things form such a big part of our life today, because the stories that we hear, they begin to shape us, they begin to form us. And so if I start to believe everything that I hear, then I start to be formed by those things. I start to be shaped by those stories that we believe. This also goes into the realm of, of how I see myself as a creation of God, right? My identity. And so much of our identity in our culture is formed by what other people tell us about ourselves. The stories that we believe, right? And so we see this all the time, right? We have people that believe are believing things about themselves that aren't true, but it's what culture and other people have told them about themselves, right? I think this is one of the reasons why we see that even though social media should be bringing us closer together as a culture, it's actually isolating us more than ever. It's the reason that, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that all social media is evil and of the devil. Uh, you can make that decision for yourself, um, right? But it's the reason um, that happens. It's the reason that, they, that there's a correlation between social media investment and depression, Right? Because here's what happened. You hop on social media, you hop on Facebook, Instagram, and you see these stories, and some of them even call them stories, right? You see these narratives, these stories about how perfect other people's lives are, and then when you look at your life, you say, I can never measure up to that. And so it leads us deeper and deeper down into a depression. It leads us deeper and deeper down into feeling like we're less than God has created us to be. And so those stories that we believe play a big part of forming us. Uh, at the core of that is just our environment. Right? I should have started there, right? But at the core of this is our environment. The home that we grew up in, our family of origin forms us, right? And we really don't have a whole lot of control over that in a lot of cases, right? But we can all sit around and tell stories, good or bad, about how we've been formed or shaped by the environment that we grew up in. Um, again, I mentioned it earlier, but that's why it's so important, like with our kids, to think about the environment that they're in, the people that they're around, um, and just knowing their maturity in those things. So our environment shapes us. Our habits, right? And these primarily kind of in a bad way, but could even be in a good way, right? But these are these things that we start doing that become a habit in our life, right? Um, and so on a negative side of that, you think about most people who start a negative habit, um, they don't start out just saying, man, I just want to be addicted to X, Y, Z. Man, I just really want my life to really tank and me just to be so addicted to this thing I can't think about anything. No one starts out that way right? It starts out by just a small introduction to whatever it is. And then over time, as we continue to do that habit, as we continue to expose ourselves to that, right, it starts to shape us and form us. And then finally, we have relationships. We have relationships, the relationships in our life, right? And relationships are, are people that we choose to invest our time and our attention in. And we all know that those form us and they shape us. It's the reason, right, uh, if you're hanging out uh, in the afternoons after about 3, 3.30 at McDonald's parking lot, right, and you just look out into the parking lot, you can see groups of huddles of teenagers, right? And, and depending on which huddle and group they're in, they're all dressed the same way, they all have the same kind of vehicles, right? It's those relationships, those people that they're choosing to identify with and spend time with are starting to form the decisions that they make, right? And so this is this is more or less unintentional formation. These are things that, that just happen as a product of our culture and, and as our upbringing, right? The other side of that, the other side of that chart is what, what we call intentional formation. 
These are things that I'm going to put this into. This is what this is what we've been talking about this week. Uh, becoming like Jesus. These are these intentional formating things that will that will shape us and, and form us. And at the center of this, right, instead of our environment, it's the Holy Spirit, right? At the core, right, like we talked about last week, at the core, no matter what our environment that we grew up in, right, the Holy Spirit is the, is, is, is the presence of God that will change us and shape us, right? That's at the core of our formation to becoming like Jesus. That's the reason we started with that idea last week, was that it's to be in the presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God's Spirit lives in us, Right? And that should be the driving force that forms everything in our life. John, I think it's in John 6.63 maybe where it says that. Uh, it says the spirit is life and the flesh is no help at all. Right? That at the core of our being, right, and everything that should drive us as far as becoming like Jesus, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God should be the driving force in our life. And then coming out from that, we have these other factors. So up here, instead of the stories we believe, it's the teachings that we hear. That's why it's so important for us to gather on Sunday mornings or in a life group where the Word of God is being taught. Because here's what I know, right? We can get all of these stories and we can hear all these stories in our life, but when we get into the Word of God, that is our, that is our sword to combat all of those other stories that, that, that really get forced upon us in our life. Right, and so when we dive into the Word of God, or when our, when the Word of God is taught to us, right, it helps us to rightly see those other stories in our life. So those teachings in our life, those those areas that we're allowing God's Word to shape us and to form us, instead of habits, instead of these just kind of negative tendencies we start having, this is this is what's called practices. A lot of times, habits kind of start without us thinking about them or us wanting them to happen. But the practices, right, are these intentional steps that we're taking that are going to cause us to become more and more like Jesus. Prayer, fasting, uh, silent solitude, all of these spiritual practices. And this is really where we're going the next few weeks is to, imp- to institute these spiritual practices in our life that's going to help us become more and more like Jesus. And then the last one, and this is so key, um, especially in our culture today, is this idea of community, Right? The difference between relationship and community, right? Relationships typically are based on a common interest or a common desire, something that person can do for me, right? I want to be a part of this group because it can help elevate my status. I, I, we really all enjoy fishing, so I'm going to be a part of this group in this relationship. A community, right? A biblical community is not based on that, but it's based on followers of Jesus that are just gathering together around Jesus, Right? And so that's what's so beautiful about having community that everybody that doesn't look like me. It's what's beautiful about having community that everybody's not in the same life phase as me. The beautiful thing about biblical community is that I get to experience being around other believers, right, who experience different things in their walk with Jesus. And I can be shaped by what I'm learning from them, and then I can also help to shape them by what God has taught me. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about community. Right? And that's why it's so important that we chase after this because this idea of community is just so foreign to our culture anymore. We just talked about how, how you know, we have this impression of community with social media and things, but actually having community, we're actually in people's lives together, is so foundational in shaping us and changing us. 
And so, again, this week, the practice is I want you guys to take some time, all of us to take some time throughout the week, and to fill out this chart. There's some questions that go along with both sides of the unintentional and the intentional, right? Both sides of those are geared to help you start to think about what are those influences? What are those just naturally... Uh, those, those, those influences that are just happening around me that I'm not doing anything about? And, and what are those that I need to put into place that I need to be intentional about in my life? Um, and, and so I would, I would encourage you, don't do it all at one time. Don't just sit down. But I would encourage you to take some time, uh, maybe over a couple of days, and to think deeply about some of these questions. Think deeply, right? Because I think when we can identify some of these unintentional formation things, there's going to be some changes that need to happen. Right? There's going to be some things maybe in our life that we realize has more of an influence on us than we want them to, and we may need to cut those or start to scale back on some of those. And certainly there's probably going to be things on the intentional side that we look at and we say, we need to start doing more of these things. Right? I need to be more committed to a community of believers. I need to be uh, more committed to these practices or listening to what the Spirit's saying or, or to teaching, whatever that may be. Right? Again, um, so we're, that's our practice this week. Uh, I did upload it on their website, so for the people who aren't able to make it today and get a paper copy, it is up uh, at our website, so we can, we can share that with everybody. And then at the end of that, when you finish that, right, the question that we need to ask is what changes need to be made in my life to begin becoming like Jesus? Again, if we want the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Um, and so that's our practice this week. Um, last thing I just want to remind us, and we, we, we go through this every week, but I think it's important is to realize that this will take time. Right? We talked about it today. It's not going to be overnight. It's not always going to be easy. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to take some effort. Right? It's going to be different based on your life phase, maturity in Christ. Right? Um, but we can do this together in community. Right? And so, again, this is a beautiful thing to take to life group together to really spur on conversations throughout your week. Or if you're just getting together with, with, a, with a brother or sister in Christ and grabbing coffee. Okay? So, what I want to do is we're going to close out in prayer. Uh, Tom's going to come and lead us in one more song. I think we're going to get the kids back in here with us. Um, and then we're just going to wrap up for today. And uh, so today, as, we, as we're doing that, um, again, just start to ask those questions of what are those things that are forming us? Um, and start to think deeply of those things. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time. God, I thank you for those that were gathered. Um, God, we certainly want to uh, be praying for those that weren't able to be here this morning. Um, and we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, continue just to uh, be with them in their situations in life that they're going through. Uh, Father, we just, we just pray that you would uh, form us into the people that you want us to be. That over time intentional effort, God, that we start to become the people that you want us to be, that we start to look like your son, Jesus. God, at the end of the day, may we look more like him and less like us in all the areas of our life. Thank you, God. As we sing this last song, God, may it just be an anthem of praise for the incredible things that you're doing and the things that you're going to do in our life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.